So today, as we continue looking at the five aspects of the nature of the intimacy between Christ and the believer, I want to read Psalm 62, just verses 5 to 8, as we prepare and as we go to the Lord in prayer. David says, My soul, wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. On God my salvation and my glory rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Father, we thank you that we can truly come before your, your holy, eternal throne by the grace, by the work, by the blood and the righteousness of Christ. Father, as unworthy as we are, we come as the redeemed of the Lord. And we come asking, Father, for your Spirit's counsel, his intercession, his advocacy on our behalf to explain to us, Lord, to make real to us your very word this day and to to stir up and and enforce within us the great privilege of our intimacy with Jesus Christ himself, who is truly our elder brother and our king, who is our eternal advocate and mediator and our greatest, our greatest of friends. So Lord, help me, help us all, Father, help us to hear and to believe and to walk in these truths as you have set them forth for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So just a very brief summary, and I've put all the points up here this time. I apologize I didn't put out A, B, and C last, but I summarized those. As we've gone through the parallels of intimacy for, for the true believer, for those who are what the Scripture says, remaining in or abiding in Christ is for us to remain in, to abide in his love. And for true disciples, for those who are called by Christ, who have been set aside unto him to abide in him, we, we saw in this, this narrative metaphor, as we are the branches in his love, the branches in the true vine, which is Christ that he is alone our true and main source of, of life, of vitality, our spiritual life. And this love that we are called, that we must remain in, has its source and vitality in the love which the Father has loved the Son by giving him as our salvation or for our salvation. So our, our keeping ourselves in the love of Christ and of God finds its its deepest groundings, its deeper awareness of that keeping power through our obedience, in our obedience to the Son and His commands. And what are these commandments to us? What What is their power? What is their work toward us and in us? It's mainly all that Christ has spoken to us, isn't it? Everything He's given us, it, it comes with a, a purpose, and an intentional, desired equipping all of his word to us, all of his commands to us for the true believer are to accomplish this work in us. But also, what we saw is so that our joy may be found, his joy may be found in us through that obedience. In that obedience, we find ourselves in the love of God. And in this, we find our joy made full fullness of joy, to, to walk in holiness, to walk in his spirit, by his spirit, to live by his spirit. And though that truth all comes to us through the words he's given us. That's the beauty of the canon of scripture. So for us to remain in his love is at the same time receive and share in his joy. And that's the same joy Jesus found and is finding in, in being loved and sent by his own father and in carrying out all that the Father had given him to do while he was here on earth and continuing on into eternity. This is what Christ calls himself in John 4.34. His own food, his own drink, was to do the will 
of his father and accomplish this work. Now, the, the fullness of, of joy for these disciples and any other true follower are, are all true abiding disciples in Christ is what John describes through this gospel. We see it in all the gospels, but John really brings out this in his gospel is the highest implication of Jesus' self-revelation to his own. This is what he's doing through his word and his commandments is revealing himself to us revealing the Father to us, revealing the the fullness, the breadth, the depth, the joy, the life of his kingdom to us. Not just as we know in this life only, right? But in preparation and anticipation and, and looking forward to that kingdom that we will all share in glory. So the fullness of joy to, that we are to experience now and for an eternity is found in the revelation of Christ to us through his word, through his spirit. Knowing his heart, and, and in this, we being transformed into his likeness, finding in our hearts and souls and lives the same joy to obey God, the same joy of following Christ and into suffering, into persecution, into whatever trial or abundance we may find in this on our time in this earth. And this is where we find, too, his abiding love. So any comments, questions, thoughts up to this point? That's Roman numeral one in a nutshell. Any further meditations during the week on this? All right, if not, let's get into shared intimacy. This this is the intimacy shared within the, the warmth of love for other believers and it imitates Jesus' love for us. But it's not just limited to there. That's the primary expression, the primary intimacy of this warmth of love is with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what he says in John fifteen twelve to 13. This is my commandment. Remember that, that four-word phrase right there, because that's going to be the front bookend here. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. Jesus' true disciples are to experience true joy by obeying his commands. We just saw that. And by this daily progression in our sanctification is how we remain in his love day by day, the new mercies every day, the new love we experience every day. And the, the, all of these commands that Christ is now summarizing into this one command is that we are to love one another. And this love carries with it such a gravity and such a depth that it is willing to forego our own life itself in order to save a friend, to care for a friend, to pray for a friend, to edify and encourage a friend, to serve a friend to lose our life so that you might truly know what life is all about, what life, what it means to be a true human now in Christ, to know what it is in laying down your life. And this is primary, but as I said, not just for those of the faith and in the faith, but those even yet to be brought into the vine, and we'll see that later. How does this Christ-like selfless sacrificial love when we look in the mirror of our own examination. How does that resonate with you? This is what what Christ emphasized earlier that evening in John 13, where he says there too, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another, because, because by this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is our, our privileged opportunity in this world to demonstrate Christ in his glory. Not only in our love for one another, and the beauty, what Paul points out later, and the diversity of the body, how he brings from many tribe, nation, tongue, peoples to gather, to demonstrate that before a lost world, for them to see that, but also to manifest and show that love to one another in our edification and 
are lifting up and, and exhorting one another and preferring one another. That's a great encouragement to know the love of a brother or a sister that they are they're committed. I mean, this just ripples into church life, church membership, one anothering, that that love can be demonstrated now because such a love has been given to us, has been laid down for our lives that we might have a life. So Christ is invoking for us here a new command and an end and ongoing standard to be found in this command. And it's the main idea here when he says, as I have loved you, so love one another. And, and he's meaning here in this, the way this is phrased in the Greek is that his love is always new for us. It wasn't something just demonstrated on the cross. Yes, it was gloriously the pinnacle of all history. But it is a new love each day, just as God says, his mercies are new every morning to us. Because in that mercy, we find his love. It's a vital reality again and again and again. And it's also new in a greater way because it is that Christ stamp within us and through us. If I can say it that way. Not referring to the sealing of the Holy Spirit, though it's, it's, it's like that in essence. But, but that distinguishing mark of true disciples, of really true members of his body, especially in this day and age where we see in the world so many flavors of church and Christianity about there. I hate even to use the word church. But this is our Christ-ordained identifying mark before a watching and listening world, a, a selfless love to one another. Any thoughts here? Hmm. Um, a conversation I had with her mom after it was all said and done um, she was she conveyed to me that she was so struck by um, the friendship that Jesse had in her bridesmaid just by the way that we served her and loved her through all of it Wow. and she, she said because she was you know concerned that Jesse was going to be moving away and she, she apparently had a conversation with Jesse at one point that was like you can't move away you've never had friends as good as the friends you have here. Hmm. And so with me hearing with the ears that I have and the knowledge I have, the difference is the friends that she had before were pre-conversion. Yeah. And now she's friends with Christians, believers. Wow. And so really what the mom was reflecting to me was seeing the distinction that you're talking about. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. And it's good to know she's right. in a church that yeah, reflects that too. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. That replication is yeah. a beautiful thing. No, that's good. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, because he came hungry. He came wanting to find out more about this truth that Julio was preaching about. That he just... Amen. Right, right. Amen. Yeah, that that's not referring to Second John where <laughs> we invite them in and come in and teach us about sorcery. Absolutely not. Yes. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. And that, that's a very core aspect of our sanctification um, to know that you know, we're a bunch of unworthy sinners and we are here now as vessels demonstrating the grace and the love of God to one another that I can now prefer you and love you in that sense, in that way, because he saved you just as much as me. Amen. Anybody else? That's good. So Christ was was very intentional here to return to this love command. And one, as I said, we're going to see later on that this is the fruit of the true vine. It's one of Russell's questions last last week, and we're going to get into that deeper too about the, the, the fruit of this true vine. 
And it is to this group of disciples, remember he's talking to the 11 here, not the 12, but the 11, and in transcending way to the rest of us, this transcendent command of love within all the current, all the present branches that are in the vine. And this is what I said earlier about Paul has this in mind in, in this future anticipation of what the church was going to become through these 11, ultimately 12 through Paul too, but this this theology of univer- unity and diversity and that the body being one yet members one of another can show and express this love from all the various backgrounds and all the different you know lives we lived before that we have now been rescued out of that in such a demonstrative and powerful way. So we are all now, by the grace of God, branches from the same true vine. So in this context of intimacy with our Lord, we need to remind ourselves and guard ourselves that this intimacy is not an exclusivistic intimacy. What I mean, it's it's not for our selfish maneuvering in our relationships, thinking that I'm somehow greater or better, or this is actually something of Christ's love to me and saving to me that I can hoard it, but it is to be a shared intimacy um, with brothers and sisters and with the world, obviously, but this this shared love that looks to Christ's standard because he is the measure of our statue. He is always who we look to, not comparing one another. Well, he doesn't love me as much as I love him, so I can throttle back a little bit. No, it, it's Christ's standard. He is the stature of that love that we look to, that I want to love you the same way he's loving me and has loved me. I don't want to get away from that. I always keep my eye to Christ, my heart to Christ, that whatever it costs me to love and serve you, am I willing to do that? You know, that's the question. Rather than some modern-day westernized rugged concept of this Soto Lone Ranger Christianity that that's out there. I want to read this. Richard Baxter had a really good poem for those of you who like poetry. And he's he's writing this about warning believers about one who may suppose he has a, share, a special shared intimacy above, above others. And the, the poem is called, He Wants Not Friends That Hath Thy Love. <laughs> he wants not friends that hath thy love. So he says, He wants fr- not friends that have thy love, and may converse and walk with thee, and with thy saints here and above, with whom forever I must be. In the communion of the saints is wisdom, safety, and delight. And when my heart declines and faints, it's raised by their heat and light. As for my friends, they are not lost. The several vessels of thy fleet, though parted now by tempests tossed, shall safely in the haven meet. Still, we are all centered all in thee, members, though distant, of one head. In the same family we be, by the same faith and spirit led. Before thy throne we daily meet as joint petitioners to thee. In spirit we each other greet and shall again each other see. The heavenly hosts, world without end, shall be my company above. And thou, my best and surest friend, who shall divide me from thy love? Man, like Baxter. So, <laughs> but we also hear this command in this command, the very heart and essence of our majestic Father, the fatherhood of God. In these exhortations to love one another, to heed His commands, because for any true believer who hungers for this deep intimacy with Christ and who will submit to the loving authority found in this abiding presence of Christ, will find and and usher forth from a renewed heart the life of this new command. You know, it's only in this abiding, in this obeying, are we enabled in the love of Christ to love one another as we should. But honestly, do, do we find this an easy thing to do? You know, it's, it's worth noting that Christ spent 
really an extended amount of time in exhorting these disciples to love one another and heed his, his life-giving commands. And very worthy to note, it, and throughout this farewell discourse in John 13 to 17, the doctrine he presents is actually presented with a, a pastoral concern as a grounds for their encouragement and faith rather than as, as the minimum content, if you will, that has to be absorbed to ward off apostasy. So his focus in here was on the expression, the reality, the life of love to one another as we have been loved. But we, we find, I know, you know, I confess in times of our fellowship when we gather together, we have these natural tendencies to, to be unnerved by somebody's actions, to the worst gets brought out in our natural, you know, our nature when confronted by those that we, for some reason, wrongly deem unworthy um, you know, that we see the arrogant seeking their own way. But, but the answer for us is that the branch can do nothing apart from the true vine. Because remember, Christ himself loved his enemies, the same enemies who are now his friends, that these were, these 11 were the greedy, the gossipers, the unlovely, the whining, arrogant, even the ignorant and immature the sinful, who were loved with such a great love, even so much that he would he was willing to lay down his life for them. So for all of us, he, he has done the same in the same way we should love one another. Any thoughts? All right. Roman numeral three, qualified intimacy. This intimacy with Christ is, is really honored by a divine friendship. And this friendship with Christ is, is carefully qualified here in the Scripture. Jesus calls us his, us his friends if we do what? Obey. You are my friends if you do what I command you. But no longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. That is mind-blowing right there. Not just the command, but the privilege that that command brings. Just, just bearing in mind that the Lord was about to fulfill this very command of loving to the extent of laying down his own life. And in that, becoming our supreme standard. And so we, too, as disciples, can demonstrate no greater love than to lay down our own lives. But what qualification we hear, we see here in these two verses is how we interpret this. And Jesus uses the word friend here, or friends, as a noun. Not friendly as an adjective, but as a noun. As Jesus' relationship to his friends is not the same as friends to one another. You know, we can be buddies, we can be pals, we can be friendly to one another, but his relationship, his friendship with us has a unique qualification if we do what he says. But also, with this, we're granted, again, that additional blessing and privilege that he's going to reveal, he is going to make known to us what he has himself received from his Father. This is why in God's providence and goodness, he's given us the canon of Scripture. This is what how he's revealed. Not some new, lofty, high spiritualism revelation, but what he's given to us by the Word of God and his Spirit. But note, too, this is crucial. This passage does not say that Jesus is our friend. Nowhere in Scripture do we find the Father or the Lord Jesus ever said to be the friend of anyone. I know what you're going to say. Hang on. <laughs> I, I can sense it already. We, we know Isaiah 41.8, Abraham is called the friend of God, but the Scriptures do not call God the friend of Abraham, Right? Don't we sing hymns, though? What a friend we have in Jesus. All our 
friends and grief, or griefs to, to spare. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Huh? Huh? Yeah, there's a, there's a whole list of them. It was, it was amazing. And these are okay for us to sing. And I'm, not, I'm not okay, get out your hymnals and start scratching out hymns and tearing pages out. But and, and the scriptures do present Jesus as the greatest friend in light of his love and giving himself. Absolutely, yes, that's true. But the key is that we never see the scriptures refer to him by the noun friend. Okay, He is not our philoi, philos. If we consider this word friend, as I said, it's a noun. We tend to conjure up, as I said, that reciprocal, we're good buddies, we're good friends, that, that, that sort of reciprocal relationship that is more on a lower-level casual basis, if you will, okay? So there's a danger in thinking or considering this friendship with Christ as something as chummy-chummy, you know, but that there is a, a fundamental significance between Jesus Christ and those who are his redeemed, who are called to himself. And, and this important qualifier for the friend of Christ is that there is one of obedience which magnifies his authority, his sovereignty, his lordship. He is still and always will be the master. He will always be our teacher. And yes, he is our greatest friend, but we do not bring him down to our level as a chummy, you know, as we've seen the T-shirts, Jesus is my homie. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, that, no, I, that will never be worn on this vessel. <laughs> <clears throat> he is my Lord, he is my Savior. But, again, Christ is not saying here either that he is insisting on slavery. He is not insisting on servanthood. Even though the aspect of, of being a servant and a friend both carry with it, the, the responsibility of obedience to one greater than ourselves. Yet Jesus tells us we're not operating in the dark here. What does he say? The slave doesn't know what the father is doing or what the Lord's doing, but the friend does. And in that friendship, he reveals those things to us through the work of this Holy Spirit, illuminating our hearts, giving us understanding and what he is saying and doing through the word how we are to be conformed into his image, how we are to obey him, imitate him. Okay? Any thoughts? Absolutely. Right, right. Absolutely. We are still, like you said, absolutely slaves of his righteousness. We are always dependent on that. We cannot come around that and interject our own righteousness and think, okay, I've got it now. I don't need that anymore. I can step out from under that. No. That, that master-slave relationship under his righteousness will always remain. He is our only means of righteousness. Do loss, yeah. Bond servant, yeah. To mellow it down because of the ramifications of it. Modern day, yeah. Because of our history of our nation and other nations, they think that word is too brutal. Yeah, it is. I mean, I won't get into all that. We know what that was all about, and that was wrong. But to be a slave of Christ is one uh, amazing thing, yeah. It's one of, can I say, honor, you know, to be a slave of his righteousness, to realize I don't have any, but I can fully rest on his. I'll, I'll gladly submit myself to that, you know, have the all pierced through my ears, say I'm a bond slave to him, whatever it is. Yeah. But to be completely sold out to that, given to that, no problem. Right. Right. Yes, sir. So Christ says that you are my friend. Should we view that as now we have peace with God? Yeah. 
Right, right. Peace in such a degree that he's now willing to reveal himself to you. You know, because as, as an enemy, as, as a slave of sin, man, we had no hope in that. We had no revelation of God until he did that work in us, you know. And that, and that goes back, we're going to go back to that in a minute about him choosing us and then appointing us. Yeah, that opens up that friendship, relationship that brings about this intimacy. You know, there's, there's, there's still at, at the core of that humility, you know, undeserved love that we can now be called the friend of God. Yeah. Amen. Oh, is an adjective, friendly, and he's not, he's not just, no, th- this is a noun that we're called, we're identified as a friend of Christ. Yeah, I call you a f- my friend. I'm not just being friendly to you because, yeah, hey, I like hanging out with you. But I've chosen you, you're now my friend. But in that friendship, like he said, we're now still in a, a, a master, teacher, student, bond servant. As of his righteousness, but yeah, it's used here as a noun, identifying you as a specific person, but also not only just individually, but collectively as his body. So we are all friends of Christ. Absolutely. So it's not like you said where if you bring him down and it's like we're equals in that sense. But at the same time, there is a relationship where we can bring our cares and concerns to him. Amen. Know what he's doing, what he's called us to do. Amen. You know what I mean? So yeah. there's certainly a relationship aspect that has changed as a result of bringing him Yes. Yes. And we see that collectively demonstrated to us in the marriage union you know as the church relates to Christ we're not only his bride but we're his friend too that we can come to him both individually and collectively in intimate terms and and you know as Thomas Brooks unbosom our heart make our request known learn more of him just sit at his feet like Mary you know all of that that that, that is it's indescribable privilege you know, that the creator of the universe calls us friend. So, amen. Yeah. Okay. We've hit the slavery <laughs> part of that. Um, and also, too, like Marie brought out, Galatians 6 and also Galatians 4, talking about this this lasting privilege, um, being, being a part of, chosen and appointed now and part of God's redemptive work in, the, in this in this earth. Um, so, the text is asking us, I'm asking you, just as I was asked, are we a friend of Christ? And if so, how do we characterize our friendship with him and toward him? What does our friendship look like? I'm not looking for answers. I'm just putting the question out there for your heart and soul too, in your mind. What does your friendship with him look like? So, as, as we are branches abiding in the true vine, we are not the vine. We're being wonderfully supported, nourished, cherished, enabled. Part of that friendship, relationship, this, this multifaceted grace and all the means of grace that come to us. We don't have any excuse, brothers and sisters. You know, we really don't have any excuse to not be bearing fruit. There's, there's no other way around this. I, I'm definitely not a con- condemning statement. This, this is just a reality because we're called to a fruitful intimacy. Because this is all grounded in Jesus' choice of us. A choice that we didn't have even an opportunity to go pick me 
No, I, I hate you. I don't want any part of you. I despise you, and I'm going to follow my own inclinations and desires because I know what's best. And for him to shine that light out of darkness, to choose us, calls for now a fruitful intimacy. You did not choose me, John 15:16a. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. And the I here, ego, is very emphatic in the original text. And it's carrying here the great emphasis that we see throughout John's gospel of this divine election, predestination, calling of God through the Lord Jesus Christ to our souls. This is not insignificant. This is incredibly important. And many of us have come to learn and, and know in our walk through, through teaching, through abiding in the scriptures, the reality that God is absolutely sovereign and walking in that. This, this is a liberating doctrine of the word of God. But we also have to remember this does not reduce us to a mere robot or to a puppet because the choices we still make in this life, even after Christ, are still significant, very significant. And and with this doctrinal point, we've learned and come to know that man is fully responsible before God, right? We will all give an account before Christ for all that we are, all that we do, all that we have, all that we have said. And our responsibility never makes God contingent upon us or dependent upon us, Okay. So understanding this, we can avoid a lot of the theological errors that the liberalists and the errors try to introduce. And, and if we restrict ourselves to the deductions that we find in Scripture that God has inspired through these biblical authors, we'll guard ourselves against these, these false notions and teachings. So we don't see... Or do we see, let me ask you, do we see in Scripture where writers deduce from a person's choice that God is sovereign in every area except moral areas of our life? No. That's the philosophers. That's even the rabbis. You know, God is sovereign over everything in this world, everything in our lives except the moral areas of our life. No, that's false. But... True disciples of Christ are introduced to, and they, they're constantly developing spiritual fruitfulness. That's what we are called and appointed to do. We're being designated friends of Jesus Christ. We are the objects of his special eternal love. And for us to keep these truths and realities and perspectives, Jesus reminds us we didn't choose him. He chose us, and we, he chose us that we are to bear fruit and fruit that will last. And this, this is implying, and this is getting into his first preaching that he did. What did he say? What were, were Christ in Mark 1? What was his first commands, his first sermon that Christ preached? Repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand, right? And just like the first chorus, I'll go into this, this song I found, which is really cool. Um, I won't go through the whole song. Brian, I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> but it says, I sought the Lord, and afterward I knew. He moved my soul to seek him, seeking me. It was not I that found, O Savior, true. No, I was found of thee. And the, the Lord's use here of, of this word for appointed, Ethica, excuse me, clearly demonstrates Christ's initiative in the basis of this friendship, that we are his disciples, but it also implies a commission for us. And this appointment has a commission to go and bear fruit. And for not not just these 11, but to be carried out through all the subsequent branches in the vine, this is the outcome in the ministry of our lives, this bearing fruit. In obedience to Christ, in abiding in that Holy Spirit, Word of God, life sap, if you will, coming from the vine. And through the loving ministry in our lives, we're all to have a ministry of gospel 
proclamation, Christ exaltation, of, of Christ treasuring in our hearts with a testimony of the cross that will bear fruit. And that fruit through the cross of Christ and others is going to be a fruit that remains. So this is to be a replication effort. This, this appointment to bear fruit is a replication of the work of Christ on the cross, a.k.a. the gospel, the good news. So our intimacy with and in Christ is, that is fully grounded in his choice of us will yield this fruit that lasts and bears within it the authenticity of, of the branch. This is that redemptive focus I talked about several weeks ago, that redemptive motive and thrust in our prayers and our intimacy with the Lord, in, in knowing the will and praying the will of God, not just for the 11, but for all of us, is, is that, that we're not to hoard, if you will, this choosing power, this love, this intimacy and friendship of Christ. Okay, any thoughts on that? Basically, the commission, what he left in Matthew 28, go and make disciples, baptizing them. This is the greatest expression of love that we can demonstrate, not only to one another, because we all still need to, to be reminded and be accountable in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's part of our sanctification but in an ongoing proclamation to the world around us. It, that's, that's the fullest demonstration of love to show there is good news and hope for your life in this world and the world beyond, a life to come. All right, any thoughts? All right. This leads to prayerful intimacy. This intimacy bears fruit that is the result of prayer under the Lordship of Christ in that abiding friendship with Christ. In John fifteen sixteen b so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. And this, this great and vast prayer promise is what we see back in John fourteen thirteen, and in this, this section too, in fifteen seven, is the clarification of the blessed outcome that emerges from Christ choosing and appointing his disciples. But what, is, what does this mean for us to ask whatever you ask in the name of the Father, in, of the Father in my name, I'll give to you? Well, negatively or a negative aspect first, what it does not mean is that if we just use the Lord's name in a prayer, it's not some magical invocation. It's not even some occultic chanting to just to satiate our whims and wishes. We know that. But what does it mean for us to pray and to pray in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. Matthew 6, come to mind. <laughs> yeah, that your name would be hallowed, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done. Man, there's nothing greater than that. You know, yes, this is not excluding prayers for, Lord, would you grant healing to my son? You know, grant the doctor's wisdom. Absolutely, those prayers are necessary. That's not excluding those and saying, oh, well, you know, if you're really spiritual, you'll just, no. The kingdom come, Lord, bring your healing and your manifestation of your power to touch my son and restore him. Absolutely. But the greater commission, the greater purpose, that, that redemptive focus in our prayer is that his kingdom would come, I'm not getting into theonomy discussion here, <laughs> but salvific kingdom realities, that redemption would come to a lost and dying world. And when we pray in this manner with a hard attitude of, of being exercised under his authority, his hallowed name, his kingdom, his will, we get from 1 John 5.14 where he says, this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He hears us. All of this is included in light of the context here in this, in this narrative. Bearing fruit, fruit that should remain as we continue to abide in Jesus, 
now Christ adds, attaches to this very reality that our prayers will be heard by our Heavenly Father and everything we may ask in the name of the Son with his glory and name in mind. Does that scare you? Yeah, everything. Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give you. But remember, there, there are relational conditions here, aren't there? Abiding, obedience, being in his word. All of this is included in light of this context. But this, this is not to be some tawdry or cheap or fatalistic mindset, but this is a very powerful, this is a very specific promise that we really must strive. I know I was convicted that we must strive to, to really believe and use this better. The God of heaven delights and desires to hear our prayers in accordance with his will and his kingdom and his glory and for the good of those around us. And, and if we are to pray this way and pray by faith, not and by faith, I don't mean just churning up in, in your gut something, you know, to believe something that will happen that your head says, I don't know about this. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. But there are times, if we're honest, there are times we, we don't know what to pray, right? We, we don't know what to utter before the Lord. We don't know how to, to specifically ask for, for healing, you know. Should the Lord just take somebody home? Um, when we're in a crisis, even when we're angered or bitter towards something and how to pray. But what about praying the Lord's own promises that he's given to us? his own word, and and seeking that the Lord will fulfill his own promises, that his word would become valid, would become the final outcome of his glory, desire. We can pray those things. I mean, there's a lot of these. Just a few I wrote down thinking, Isaiah 40, he gives strength to the weary. Lord, grant strength for those who are weary among us, who are really struggling either physically or spiritually. Because it's only by your strength in us that we can persevere. It's by your keeping power. Uh, Going on Isaiah 40, I know we're going to get to a lot of these later on, but hope in the Lord to soar, to run, to walk without weariness. Um, James 1.5, do you lack wisdom? Ask of the Lord, he'll give to you. I, I, I can testify the Lord's granting timely wisdom again and again for this church and matters that, that need it desperately. Um, James 4, 7, how do we resist the devil? <laughs> Submit ourselves to the Lord, humility. So, and this is, this is not the only way, as I said, of, of legitimately approaching the Lord in intercession. There are, there are many ways, as, as I love Thomas Brooks, unbosoming our heart, just opening our heart to the Lord, crying out for immediate needs, um, of great unhindered thanksgiving and praise for all he's done, uh, of all that he's worth. But this is one sure thing we, we can count on regarding our intimacy and in prayer with the Lord. Our intimacy with him is one whose fruit is a result of prayer under his lordship. There will be a, a greater, deeper intimacy as, as bearing fruit and as is a result of praying under his lordship. And so considering this, what's what's necessary for us to know and to experience this intimacy and this really the Lord's answer to our prayers? Any thoughts? If you want. If you don't, I will. Exactly. Right before that, we see that in some sense, the granting of whatever we ask is highly contingent upon like us actually bearing fruit. And us bearing fruit then is keeping his commandment, which then goes back to how we truly abide in him. So 
the way I see it, like how this all goes together in, in some sense is that there has to be um, a thorough, obedient, and bearing fruit by which we can then hold to this promise of what we ask. And if we're truly doing that, we then will be asking by his grace according to his will. Right. And, and, and the key, the hinge pin of that, you, you almost, you, you did say it almost to the fullest. We've got to have his word dwelling in us richly. That, that's not an option. That's not a secondary thing. That, that's got to be just like it was for him, or well, as he describes for us, both his body and his blood. If we are not consuming Christ, which is right here, then... This obedience, this intimacy, this abiding, this asking whatever you want in my name, we won't know the fullness of that reality, you know, and the beauty of it, the, the true measure of intimacy found in that, unless... Bingo. That will be in many ways. It's not always like when we feel like our prayer is not leaving the room necessarily, but right. if we feel that way, there needs to be some level of an examination as to how we're walking. Right. Right. Amen. So, real quick, we we made it through. Praise the Lord. Not that getting through it was a challenge. I just wanted to get through to get to prayer because that's where we are, but this gives us a lot of insight to the nature of the fruit that, that Christ mentions here. Um, has in some aspects a measure of the lives brought to Christ in evangelism and the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Okay, that comes into play there too. But for us individually, corporately, this fruit we're to bear and go on bearing is everything done to the will of Christ and not the least of which is loving one another through gospel proclamation, through serving, and in, and in praying, and praying for those things in the Lord's name, that his will be done, his word be accomplished, his promises fulfilled for ourselves and for others. But our love for one another because of Christ is fruit. That's fruit. And praying according to his will and in his name is fruit. And so also is our intimacy with Christ, just like we are the, the branch in the vine we will issue with much fruitfulness if we abide in that vine, if we are constantly tapped into that life sap, as I said, if you will. But our fruit-bearing is the necessary and, and visible sign that one is in truth a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's what will bear out through our days, through the ages. Amen. Let's continue worshiping. Thank you.